disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. It's Leland Conway and the Disruption Zone. On tap today, uh, Jason Nemus, representative from Odom County and uh, Far East Louisville. Uh, we got into a very uh, deep conversation about both the COVID situation and the governor's ridiculous reaction to it and handling of it, and also a very deep and heartfelt conversation about medical marijuana. So I think you're going to want to hear both of these conversations together in this one uh, visit that we had with him and uh, always enjoy these conversations. First, though, I want to quick thank you, uh, send out a quick thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Uh, you can go to LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. Uh, they're also, they have a showroom at 6200 Hit Lane, right on the border of Odom and Louisville. Um, if you're in Oldham County, Louisville, or Southern Indiana, these are your guys. Whether you're a, um, uh, uh, like a, a, a contractor or you are doing it yourself. There's literally affordable, high-quality cabinets in stock. Um, if you want a turnkey kitchen remodel like we did, uh, where you just tell them, this is what I want, and they come in and do the work, that's they have three designers on staff, George, Kelly, Michelle, and they're waiting to talk to you and, and get an idea of what your dream kitchen would be. I'm confident that Louisville Cabinets and Countertops helped our house sell within a day. And guys, I don't talk about businesses that I don't truly believe in. And I do believe in Louisville cabinets and countertops. The number is 502-930-3304. Or again, just stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane. We really appreciate their sponsorship of this program. And now the conversation with Representative Jason Nemus. All right, State Representative Jason Nemus back on the podcast with us. Um, I got to tell you, man, we haven't talked in a while, but it's good to have you back on. Are you ready for Thanksgiving? You ready for the holidays? It's good to be on. We'll be having Thanksgiving with uh, more than one other intimate family mm. in my house. <laughs> there he is, right there, breaking news. Representative Jason Nemus to defy the governor's order. <laughs> no, that's Terrible. Right. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna have a dinner or lunch uh, with uh, my wife's uh, parents and her brother, and so uh, it's about. It's gonna be about eleven people, and mm. uh, we'll be careful, but we're gonna do what we oh, want to do and. And not follow this, um, <laughs> what I think is a is an unconscionable um, restriction on our rights. Yeah. On how many people we can eat dinner with at our home. I agree. Um, totally. We'll get into that in a little bit. What's um, what's your take on like uh, the best Thanksgiving dish? <laughs> uh, I'm traditionalist, man. I like turkey. I like uh, stuffing, mashed potatoes. It's it's uh, it's carve them up, baby. I like down that day. I, <laughs> I like I like pumpkin pie. I know no. that's something. No, no, I'm I'm a big pumpkin no. pie guy. I don't like pumpkin spice and everything, Lou. I'm not big, but pumpkin pie all day long. It's a good thing I don't all live day. in your district anymore. I'd be campaigning against you right now. I'm running Dude, against Jason Nemus. I'd eat pumpkin pie on June 20th if I could. I mean, it's not just for November. I love pumpkin pie. I am declaring my candidacy against Jason Nemus. I'm running from Colorado. Uh, but I'm still going to unseat you, dude. You cannot. That's, that's right. That's Hashtag un-American. no more pumpkin pie. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so let's get into the governor's orders. This is ridiculous. I, here's the thing. I was just going back and forth with somebody on Twitter. Um, the restaurant thing boggles my mind because obviously retail is open and the governor was like, oh, we're not going to do a shutdown. We're just going to shut down one whole segment of the economy. 
Um, I looked at the Christmas season as sort of the light at the end of the tunnel for a very small light at the end of the tunnel for businesses that have been ravaged by eight months to slow the curve. And the it seems as though governors across the country are now trying to even snuff that out, which is inexplicable to me because I don't, to, to my knowledge, Governor Bashir did not offer any evidence that the spread is coming from restaurants and bars. It was uh, ridiculous to lump the two types of businesses together. They have two completely different uh, business models. In fact, if you were going to shut down one, it would probably be bars before restaurants because of the things that restaurants can do to mitigate people being in close contact with each other. Um, on top of that, retail stores are still going to be open, which doesn't, I mean, it, we're going to have 3000 people in Rupp Arena next week. Um, it, it, none of this makes sense. It's so all over the board and it's so like, it's just, there's, there's no pattern to it. And I think that's what people are really sick of that sort of, I, I don't know. I said on Twitter, I was like, I think the governor's people that are advising him are clueless, uh, drunk on power and just making stuff up as they go. Yeah, that's right. You know, and there's no, first of all, of course, bars and restaurants are different. But Leland, restaurant one and restaurant two is different. That's correct. I mean, it's not like the restaurant industry is 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 diverse. I mean, to say that there's no, in, you know, dine in, eating. You know, what about Gerstos in, in northern Kentucky, mm-hmm. where they have a huge area of seating? You're telling me that, and, and they're in picnic tables. You're telling me they can't have a family per picnic table, and maybe, maybe even remove two, have one, remove two, have one. Right. I mean, give me a break. That's a lot different than somebody who that, that a restaurant that's very tight. So, it doesn't make sense on the data. So let me make two points. Number one is what I'm hearing from my constituents is what you just said. Where does this come from? It's it's so arbitrary and capricious. We don't understand where it's coming from. You know, from the first shutdown, I could go get my wife a blouse at Target. But not the prickly pear. I could go right. get her a bouquet of flowers at Kroger, but not the Country Squire. And arguably, um, the the prickly pear and the Country Squire would be safer. That's right. And so it it makes it makes no sense because it's arbitrary. Also, I have asked over and over and over again for evidence to support their uh, decisions. And so what that wh- why do I do that? For two reasons. Number one, I want to make sure that we're making good decisions is based on science and not just hunches. And I'm not saying the governor is acting in bad faith. Don't hear me say that. But I want them to show that show their math, so to speak. So is it coming from restaurants? If it is, then we've got a conversation that's different than if it's not or if you can't prove that it's not. Is it coming from in-house uh, meetings? Is it coming from schools? We need to know these types of things. We're spending tens of millions of dollars in Kentucky on contact tracing. They should, be have, they should have this information. So that's, you know, that, that we need the information. So point number one is we, we need to make sure that we're making good decisions. The second point, though, that's just as important, Leland, we're Americans. I'm not, you're not just going to do something because my, your elected official tells you to. You've got to show me. You got to prove it to me. You got to show me the decision is reasonable. So if you want compliance, and the governor says he wants compliance, if you really want compliance, then you persuade Americans, persuade Kentuckians that look. I know this hurts, but look at these numbers. This is where it's coming from. It's coming from restaurants at this zip code, whatever. Right. Show what you got, and if yeah. you don't show what you got, then you're not going to get much compliance. Yeah, and and if you're not getting any compliance, then what you're doing is still arbitrary because if what you're doing would actually solve the problem, then compliance is necessary in order to solve the problem. Um, Over in Lexington, they uh, said that the um, you know school is basically going to be in uh, online learning until January, but the six teams that are competing in the football championships or playoffs 
are right. per, are, are allowed to continue on. Now, I personally support letting them play football, but the problem is that is a mixed message if ever there was one um, right. because you have kids that are apparently it's unhealthy for them to go in and have class and be able to socially interact. Here's something I'm really concerned about, uh, Representative Nemus. I, I'm concerned that 10 years from now, we're going to have an entire generation of people who are going to be coming into the world and they're going to have social development issues um, because this has gone on for a year. And, and the reason I point that out is I can remember the difference between my personality from my junior year of high school when this girl that I was crushing on so hard asked me to go to the prom with her uh, because she needed a date and left me standing against the wall and left with the basketball star to the next year when I went back to prom as a senior and I was dating her, that social development that happened in that year, and this is a personal story, but for real, the interactions that I had over that year that built my confidence, joining sports teams, learning, growing, getting, you know, all those things that happened that developed my personality over the next year that made me a more confident person. Complete. If I hadn't had that year, if I had that year taken away from me, um, it's unbelievable. I can't even imagine what that would have done, you know, and, and I think we're gonna have a whole generation of kids that are going to lose very important, crucial social development time as a result of this. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, that's the most important times of our lives to, to grow into our own. Um, and, you know, parents, parents know this and parents are struggling. And in, in, in Louisville, for example, you know, we have 97,000 kids in JCPS. We have over 20,000 kids in private schools as well. Those private schools, most of them have been going have been going to school from the beginning or very close to the beginning. Right. There's not been many problems. Right. I have two kids in private schools because they're in K through eight, and then I've got a, a kid in a public school, which obviously is not going to school. My youngest two are going to school. They're thriving. They're doing what they need to do. They're very taking it very seriously. Their school is doing very well on uh, taking it seriously. My older boy, he's struggling. I mean, we're talking about a straight A student in seventh grade. He got a twenty-three on his ACT. By the way, he didn't get that from his daddy. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but but he, but he involved in sports and all these programs and schools and from in uh, you know through middle elementary middle school, and now he he's struggling. And so I hear this kind of story from all kinds of parents, which is why there's a number of people. Our private schools they they can't accept any more people. They're after, they're, they're they're packed at, at Catholic schools. Yeah. And 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 why is that? It's because parents know that their kids are struggling. I talked to a pediatrician the other day, Leland, and this the pediatrician. She told she lives in my district, and she told me, she said, Jason, you wouldn't, you couldn't imagine the amount of anxiety medications, anxiety things we treat, uh, conditions that we treat of kids who have flourished their whole life, right, and are struggling right now. And so what we're doing is we're making this we're making this moral judgment. It's not. It's not a judgment. It's it's not a let's shut it down and save the world. And if you don't like it, you're a bad person. Right. That's not the measurement. If we were that, if that was the measurement, it would be easy for me. That's not the measurement. There's a balance here. On one side is COVID is real. We got to take it seriously. It's harming uh, a lot of our a lot of our people, especially in particular categories. Right. On the other side, though, there are people that are hurting from the shutdown. Right. And so those things are in the balance. And never has the media asked the governor. Do you recognize that suicides are up? Do you recognize that that um, that child abuse is up? Do you recognize that that drunkenness is up and and drug use and overdoses? And so once and we well, can't not recognize it. The numbers are what they are. Governor, please tell us how this how this goes into your thinking. Right. Why would a reporter not ask that question? Hmm. 
but we've never heard his think his thought process. It's always been COVID shutdown or you want to kill people. Well, two two quick things on that because I think you raise a really good point. Um, first of all, I, I think when you were talking about private school versus uh, public school, the fact that none of our leaders are on uh, in in terms of you are, but I mean none of our governor or his staff and really the media either are asking the question because we're always told follow the science, right? We're always told right. follow the science. That's right. So if I'm truly following the science and I'm truly curious about what's going on here, I would immediately ask the question, why is it private schools are doing this and they're doing it fine? That's right. It's the exact same setup as public schools and public schools can't. I want to know the answer to that question. And the fact that no one is asking that question right. um, is infuriating. The second thing uh, to your point is that, and I want to go back to uh, the comment that you made earlier, your second point, and that was, look look at those numbers. Um, I did a kind of diving into some statistics this morning, and I, let me just say this. I thought this was weird. Um, if you Google, just go to Google, and you Google survival rate of COVID-19, there is no auto search for that search. Mm-hmm. You're telling that me <laughs> that in a world whose top story right now, all over the world, is all facets of COVID, that nobody has gone and said, what is the survival rate of COVID? Now, if you title, if you search death rate of COVID, you oh, get yeah. a long list of, of pre-filled you know, things. But if you, if you put survival first, you get nothing. I find that weird. But when I did dive into it, I found some interesting statistics. Globally, the death rate is about uh, 2.3%. Okay? That sounds pretty high. Except that you have to take into account that that's the global, that's the entire globe, and that is including the fact that the vast majority of countries around the world are not developed like we are and the West is and do not have good healthcare systems. So you're taking into account all of that. In America, that rate is about a quarter of 1%, meaning it's not that much worse than the flu. Dive in a little farther and you go and look at, you're actually four times more likely to die in a car accident than to die from COVID. That's that's staggering, right? And again, you look at those numbers and then you look at the decisions that our leaders are making and the abject fear that people are walking around. Everywhere you go, people are talking about how afraid they are of this virus. And the thing that keeps coming back to my mind is like, guys, we're all going to get it. The question is, are we going to be healthy enough to fend it off? And that's what we really can control. And so it, what what infuriates me is that we've come to a place now where a politician can say things like Governor Bashir said yesterday, no more than two families in your house, and that that doesn't immediately right. end his political career, that that it, statement right, out of his right. mouth doesn't immediately end his political career. But defend, so so if, you, if, you, if you say that's a bad policy on Twitter, boy, you're going to get attacked by the Twitter mob too, which right. is fine. I don't mind that. I, I have fun with that. But but that's that's what's going to happen. So he has sycophants that are going to support anything he does. I mean, think of what you just said, Leland. You're telling me that I can't have my brother and my sister at my house on Thanksgiving, even if it were just the three of us, because right. the rule is not over eight with more than more than two intimate families that are not living in the same home. Right. I mean, that is who do you think you are? Right. I understand that COVID is serious. No doubt about it. We need to be very careful. I wish we were more careful. Although when we go to my, although when I walk around my district, if you go into Kroger, you go into Lowe's, 
100% compliance on the masks. Right. There's not 50, not 90. It's 100% compliance on the mask. So we're, we're doing the things that we need to do. I understand that the hospital rates and the ICU rates are kicking up, but there are questions that the governor – this is the fundamental thing for me. The governor is not making the case with data. He's making it with emotion. You know, he, he cries it once a week, and I'm not belittling him for crying. I understand it's an emotional time. But rather than make it with emotion, you need to make it with data. So I've, I've sent his office uh, – uh, you know, I asked the, the head of contact tracing a couple weeks ago, um, uh, where are the numbers? And he didn't have it, and, and he said to get back to me. He hasn't. So I sent an email to the governor's office, and I asked for four things. I want overall mortality raw numbers without any cause going back for 10 years by quarter or by month, whichever they have it. That's number one. Number two, I want overall mortality uh, raw numbers for 10 years on the major, the 10 major non-accidental causes. Right. And, you know, going back 10 years, so we can see, you know, our particular things that we used to die from no longer. No longer. So then we can see. I want to see how how the 250,000 people die of COVID. Okay, I'm not quibbling with that. But I want to see what does it mean on our overall mortality rates. Right. And then I ask for the individual information about where the spreading occurs. Is it in schools, restaurants, home gatherings, retail stores, other workplaces? Let us know. And then I also said I want information concerning, this is the fourth thing, and concerning comorbidities of those who've died. And you better have that information because it's really relevant. So I'm assuming there's a chart. So I've asked for the chart because I'm assuming it happens. I'm a lawyer. I know how these things work. And any underlying information, redacted, of course, that, that can be sent to me. So – Look, if the governor wants to make his case, I want to help him make his case, but he's got to make it. And going on there and saying, look, things are bad, it's terrible in Kentucky, and getting emotional doesn't make the case. Because here's what's, what's in the balance. There are people in my district and in every district in Kentucky who have put, who, who their whole life is on, line, on the line here. Everything they've worked for and saved for and, and bled for and fought for is on the line. And it better be for a good reason. It better be based on data and not based on just some hunch that we think it happens in these particular industries or these particular portions of industries. Right, right. Um, when did you request that? So I requested that. I've been re- I requested it from the con- head of contact tracing um, in late October, and he said he, he said to me he said I I said do we know where it's coming from and where it's not coming from individual you know specific information. He said, I don't know. I, I assume it's coming from everywhere. I'll get back to you. That was in late October. So I didn't get anything, and then I'm now on November. They ought to have a chart up in their office. Hello. Exactly. If they're managing, a, if they're managing an emergency crisis, the head, yeah. of, the head of contact tracing ought to have a chart in his office and be able to go, hey, I'll send this over to you, but let me just tell you these numbers right here. That ought to That's be right. the answer to that phone call. Exactly. And, 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 and so, so let's say I'm the head of contact tracing. Why is that important for me? Because then I'm going to go to the governor and the head of and then Dr. Stack and the head of the Louisville Metro Health Department. And I'm going to say, look, we got a massive problem in you know in this particular area. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, there's an unbelievable amount of um, of uh, cases that are derived from the mall or from this particular right. restaurant or right. whatever. So we got to target that area and shut it down right now because it's dangerous to our people. Of course, that's information that you should know. Right. If it's not, it's incompetence. Yeah. Right. So on November the sixteenth, I sent that email to the to the governor's office. They didn't respond, so I sent it to you on November seventeenth. And then yesterday, I got a response saying I'd get the information by Thanksgiving. And so I'm going to make the information public. I assume that I won't get everything that I've asked for. So there will be some follow up uh, requests, and if not, then we'll get the legislative subpoena process moving. But I don't look. I'm not taking shots to be taking shots. This is not right. partisan. Right. This is the lives and the businesses, the livelihoods of the people that I represent. 
Yeah. And we're going to get – I want the governor to make his case. I'm going to help him make his case. But if the data doesn't make the case, then there's going to be a price to pay. Right. There's uh, – will you come back on when you get that information? No doubt about it. Okay. I'd love to. So I have uh, – this is the chart I was working off this morning. Um, and, th- th- you know, I was raised, don't worry about what you can't control, worry about what you can. And with regards to chances of dying, just listen to this. Now, again, if, if it's a 20 – if it's 0.25% death rate in America across the board, um, that means, if I do my math correctly, that you have a 1 in 400 chance of dying from COVID, right? 1 in 400. If you get it right, Americans odds of dying of heart disease is one in six. Their odds of dying of cancer is one in seven. Their odds of all preventable causes of death are one in 25 chronic lower uh, respiratory disease, 86, one in 26 Mm -hmm. suicide, one in 86 and opiate overdose, one in 98, which means you have a better, ch- a four times better chance of dying from an opioid overdose as just a regular American citizen, not somebody who's actually, you know what I mean? That yeah, that's an ins- yeah, and- that is an insane than than you have of dying of COVID, and yet we have shut the economy down. In other words, it, going back to the motor vehicle crash, one in one hundred six, so about four times the opportunity to die in a car crash. If we're using deaths as a reason to literally lock things down, we should immediately put a, a ban on driving cars. Yeah, or you could say, you know, what what part of driving cars is very dangerous? Is it uh, kids that are driving? Is it 18? Is it 17? If so, right. then, you know, one would argue to raise the age. Is it people driving over 70? I mean, what is it? I don't know. We right. need to know, and then you can make better policy if, right. if getting point. zero yeah. deaths is your answer. Now, there is a difference in the in COVID and some of those things which is that I could get COVID because of your mis- your, your misconduct. It's communicable. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it, sure. whereas, you know, cancer is not communicable. It, it, it is some, some, would, some, sometimes certainly based off of the misconduct of the, not misconduct, but, but not good, not, not taking care of yourself, not wellness right. or whatever. Some of it is just, just about happenstance, obviously. And it's just luck of the draw or unluck of the draw. But so, so COVID is different. And I, I respect that, that it's, it's communicable, but, but to your point, it, it's not, you know, if you would ask people, uh, what do you think those numbers are? People would say that you're more likely to die of COVID than any of those things, right? By far, because right. because of the hysteria around it, right? Well, and, I'm trying and to, to your get, point, wrap it up in some facts here, right? And to your point, I don't hear any of these so-called quote-unquote scientific experts talking about, you know, what we can do to be healthier to fight off, because right. because here's the way here's the way I look at it: we have to go through COVID. We cannot go around it. Right. And what we've spent the last eight months doing in, quote unquote, flattening the curve is really just and there were stories about this months ago, the same number of people are going to end up getting it. And and they even talked about this openly. They were like, the thing is, we got to protect the hospitals. That's it. We know it. We know the same number of people are going to end up getting it. It's just we got to protect the hospitals. OK, that makes sense. Right. Let's flatten the curve so that we keep the hospitals from overflowing. But here's the thing. We're eight months in, and you're telling me we knew that a second wave was coming as soon as the winter comes? And you're telling me that we haven't developed the capacity? What were we doing the no, last but yeah, eight but, months? But it's, it's worse than that, Leland. It's worse than that. Because we had an extra facility in Jefferson County and an extra facility in Fayette County that we closed down. Right. So if you knew there was a spike coming, first of all, you didn't say that. You said, you know, they didn't say that to us. Not that I, to my knowledge, or at least it wasn't front and center. 
Um, but but if, if they knew it, why did they not only prepare for it, but why did they shut down the additional facilities? Right. I mean, so well, what the, would, and what I'm referencing there is there was a lot of talk this summer about the next wave. We were going to have a second wave. There was yeah, okay. not not Governor Bashir specifically, but there was a lot of talk okay. in the media over the summer. We're going to have a second wave. It could be worse than the first. Yeah, that's right. Okay, fair point. Fair point. But so, but why did they shut down the two extra facilities that we had? Right. You can't say cost because <laughs> the cost of shutting down our our economy in the way that's been done is is you know ma- makes the cost of those extra facilities it just pales in comparison to it right, right. and so so it's not cost so what was it i mean why why would you not keep them up open if you knew this this was coming and and look i don't i don't quibble i, I look at these icu numbers every single day i look at hospitalizations every single day and they're and they're trending up and it and it, and it is alarming to me mm-hmm. uh, but my problem is the response needs to be Based on science, and I'm and I'm sick of hearing, and, and I don't want to be partisan here, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna this next statement is gonna be, I'm sick of hearing my Democrat friends talk about how this House believes in science, in uh, you know making the making the insinuation that that Republicans and Independents don't believe in science. Of course we believe in science, but we want our policies to be attached and backed up by science. I don't want it to be ba- based on hunches. I want to know if it's if it's restaurants. Let's have that conversation, but don't tell me to shut down restaurants and you don't show to me. That it's um that that's the problem, and then to 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 just wrap all restaurants into the same category, right. what that that is arbitrary and capricious, and I think um you know we've got the Constitution uh, says that that the no uh, that no governmental decision can be made in an arbitrary way, um you know Did, so that's 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 where I see it. The governor said that he's going to give ten thousand dollars to ailing restaurants to get through this, which is laughable, and it shows he's probably never held a real job in his life outside of government or something that you know right. didn't require he's never him. Payroll. Yeah, he's never had to deal with payroll because you know there's a lot of restaurants, um, even not really big ones, that could spend ten thousand dollars in a week easy. There's probably a lot of restaurants that spent ten thousand dollars pre-ordering food for Thanksgiving rush. And That's now right. are That's stuck with that food spoiling, you know. That's right. Um, so and make it, and the rent payment, you know, a lot of restaurants. The, yeah. I mean, you know, rent's not cheap. Right, but that and also that ten thousand dollars doesn't do a damn thing for the employees that get laid off. And if anything goes the way it did last time with unemployment, um, my understanding is there's still people waiting on unemployment checks oh, that never yeah, got them from the beginning. So how I was about to say it's not last time; it's current time because right. there are still. A bunch of people who are waiting for unemployment. So you know that's not the answer because of government incompetence. Right. And that's not the governor's incompetence, but it's his administration's incompetence. Right. You know, there's still people who are waiting to get their first paycheck from April. Right. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. I mean, I, I have people who contact me, constituents contact me all the time about I got a payment and then no more. I didn't get any payments, and you know they're they still have to pay their mortgage. Right. Right. Um. I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm frustrated. What, when you when you guys get into session, I talked earlier this week to Damon Thayer on the Senate side. What can you do to limit his power to do stuff like this? Well, the Supreme Court just limited what they think we ought to, we can do. Um, we're about to have, uh, hopefully not, but I think we're about to have a clash between um, between the branches of government, and the legislature is not going to walk away. Like a kick dog, we have we have business to take care of. We have constituents to represent, and the people of Kentucky have spoken. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, the people of Kentucky went to the polls and they voted overwhelmingly to against these kinds of government over this kind of government overreach. So we feel an obligation to respond, and so we are going to diversify power. Leland, and the way I look at it is, in 20 years, there's another emergency in 20, 40 years. 
and you and I are gone from the scene, and Bashir's gone, Republicans, we don't know who, the, who controls the House, who controls the Senate or the governor's office. What should the rule be? No one in their right mind would say, right. no one in their right mind would say, one man should have un, un, unchecked discretion, unchecked power for nine months in, in a row without any, without any checks on, it, on this power. Nobody would say that. Right. And so what, nobody in the right mind. So what we need to do is we need to say, look, a governor ought to have the ability to meet emergencies, legitimate emergencies, and then some, some time that goes by, 14 days, 30 days, whatever, there has to be a diversification of that power, either calling the legislature back into session, or, which is the people's legislature, or to uh, have the attorney general, the chief justice, you know, I don't know the group, but, but some group that, to have a check on one individual's power. And so I think the General Assembly is going to come back. And I know the General Assembly, when we come back into session, we're going to pass a statute that uh, diversifies power, that makes it um, to where it's not one individual that has unchecked authority over our uh, every every portion every portion of our right. lives. Right. You know, I, I saw I saw a study this morning that said that if you walk your dog, you're like seventy percent more likely that's to so get COVID. Dumb. That's so dumb. Yeah, I know. And so so I don't know if that's true or not, but. Are we going to outlaw walking dogs? Yeah, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. Um, what did the Supreme Court say you couldn't do? So the question before the Supreme Court was whether particular orders, not even all of them were in question, like the one that, that prohibited going to church. That wasn't part of the case. But right. there were certain certain orders related to restaurants and other businesses that were in, that were in, in question. So the governor said, you can't do this, you got to shut down or whatever. And those businesses challenged. The trial court agreed with the businesses and said, you can't do this, this violates uh, KRS Chapter 39A, so it violates the statute. It goes before the Kentucky Supreme Court, and the holding of the case, which is actually making law, is that the, the governor's um, orders uh, concerning those businesses did not violate the uh, this Kentucky statute. So that's the holding. The alarming thing of the Kentucky Supreme Court opinion is they went way too far, and they said not only are we going to answer the question, we're going to go where they shouldn't have went, and we're going to answer a question that wasn't asked. And we're going to say even though it didn't violate 39, even if it did, he has the right under the Constitution, and they concocted some scheme that violates 100 years of precedent and so forth and so on. We're not going to honor that. We're going to say um, we're going to honor the holding. And that is that the orders did not violate the statute, so we need to change the statute. And we'll, we'll change the statute appropriately, and then we're going to do what the legislative branch is supposed to do, which is make law. And the executive is going to execute that law, or there will be, you know, there have to be consequences for for him uh, overstepping his bounds and not executing the law. So right. we're going to change the law by the bottom line, giving yeah. him authority and, and limiting his authority in, in times of emergency. And how do you keep him from uh, vetoing it and then you guys not being able to override it in time? Is there, isn't there like a, there's like a 10 day period. They have to give yeah. you 10 days to, to veto, right? Yeah, there's a 10 day period. We have until March the 30th to meet. And so we will pass this. If we don't pass it in January, it'll be early February. So I don't think the clock, the calendar is going to get in the way at all. Right. And people should know. I know, you know, people should know in Kentucky vetoes mean, other than the timing aspect, vetoes don't mean anything because in U.S. Congress you need a supermajority to override it in the U.S. House and Senate. In the Kentucky House and Senate, you just need a simple majority. So, okay. you know, for example, Governor Bevin vetoed nine bills. All nine were over over the vetoes were overridden. Okay, um, Bashir's done one, I think, and we've overridden that. You know, happily we we override vetoes happily in the legislature. Gotcha. Um, and by the way, just to update my statistic, I think the. Uh, the rate in the U.S., the death rate from COVID is 2%, not 0.25. 
uh, still lower than the rest of the world. And that is skewed towards people over 70 and nursing homes because uh, 54% of the deaths have been in nursing homes. And the majority of the rest of the deaths have been people over 70, which goes we back. Have to protect them. Yeah, we have to protect them, which goes back to my original philosophy that I think we've known from about three weeks into this, that the best way to handle this is to keep the elderly home. And those, right. those who have compromised immune systems, ask everyone else to please wear a mask, especially if you're infected, and otherwise go about your business with six feet of social distance. Because going back to that um, spiking suicide rate, the, the uh, financial devastation, all of that is leading to uh, terrible outcomes that are worse than anything that the virus is doing. And that's, that's my biggest problem with how this that's has right. been handled. That's right. And, you know, in Leland... The government can't protect us completely, right? The government right. can help us. The government should persuade good, good behavior and so forth and so on, which is what the governor ought to be doing rather than mandating in my mind. But let's take prisons, which are totally controlled by government. We are having an absolute outbreak in our prisons right now. The government can't even protect those that it completely controls the environment around. Right. So what, what makes you think it's going to be able to protect you? Right. Look, we know we know best practices, right? You and I know them. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing I, I wear my mask. I'm in my office right now, but when I go out of my office, I'll be putting my mask on. Right. I'll be staying away from people. I'm not gonna. I'm a big hugger, but I'm not gonna be hugging. I'm not gonna be shaking hands. We know the best best practices, and we can do the best practices. But it we're not gonna be protected from COVID 100. percent Right. Not gonna be protected from the flu. Not gonna be protected from cancer. It, there are risks in, that associated with living in this world, but but there are benefits. To um, you know, we're social animals, and we need one another. We need to be around one another. Right. Um, and I agree with you um, that the uh, the the bad outweighs the good of these shutdowns. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I want to talk about another issue that you're passionate about, uh, and that is marijuana in Kentucky. Not uh, the hey, everybody, let's all sit around in a uh, bongo circle and smoke doobies, but uh, medical marijuana. Um, again, you 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 talk about always asking for information on the science. Uh, and that seems to be your pattern because you did the same thing when it came to, um, medical marijuana, you continuously put up studies and information that showed that medical marijuana was uh, beneficial to people. Um, you came close, but no cigar last time is, is it finally time for medical marijuana in Kentucky? No doubt about it. You know, we have six States that passed some form of marijuana legalization, um, a couple Tuesdays ago. Uh, including Mississippi, by the way. And so we um, it's time in Kentucky. We came really close last time. I was told I'd never get a vote in the House. I got a vote. Um, it wouldn't pass in the House. It passed with 67 votes, 67% of the House. Um, and then we go over to the Senate, and we have the votes in the Senate. And the Tuesday, right after the COVID emergency was declared, the Senate had a meeting that was scheduled to have a debate uh, on um, internally to the Republican caucus on, on – um, medical marijuana that obviously had to be canceled because no one could fly uh, to Kentucky. And so they canceled that. And we really whittled down what we did in the, in the session, the end of last session. So medical marijuana, unfortunately didn't make the cut this year in the house. We have even stronger majorities. We have Republicans that have taken, went from 62 to 75. And the type of Republican that came in is stronger for medical marijuana than the ones that they replaced. Um, So that's a good thing in the House, although it's not really – it's now a Senate question. Right. And so it's it's up to Senate leadership whether they want to call it or not. I hope they do. Um, there's every reason in the world to call it. Robert Stivers and Damon Thayer and Julie Rocky Adams and, and David Givens and Mike Wilson are all very good people. They're, they're Senate leadership. And they, like I, like I hope that I am, 
they're led by what is what the science says and what's right for their people. And it's unquestioned that it helps some people. There's no doubt about it. There's nobody that can make a straight face argument that says it doesn't help some folks. And uh, and that's what our people want. So it's time in Kentucky to bring medical marijuana. Now I'm going to be pushing it with all that I have. I think the other thing is that, and we've been fairly critical of Governor Bashir up to this point in the podcast, but he's probably a little more amenable. I've not heard him speak on this issue, but I got a feeling he that he's more amenable to medical marijuana, more supportive. Governor Bevin gave lip service to medical marijuana to me several times, but he never seemed to really um, back that up with any sort of action when he was in office. And um, I, I have a feeling that, that Bashir, that's one thing maybe the two sides could actually cooperate on in the coming session. Yeah, and we are. And we are. Governor Bashir is, um, is, is a champion of medical marijuana. I give I'll give him credit where it's due, and I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll give him pushback when I need to give some pushback, just like I did with Governor Bevin. Governor Bashir has been a champion on medical marijuana. He I don't know how much he ran on it, but he ran on it. Anybody asked him, he he let him know where he was. Right after he was elected, I reached out to him the uh, you know very shortly after his election, and I said look forward to work with you. And he got right back with me, and he said. He said, look forward to work with you, Jason, as well, and let's get this, let's get medical marijuana done. So yeah. it's something that I know he cares about, and uh, his administration, he's put his administration on on the um, on the alert to be very helpful. And so they, they, they've been helpful, and I assume they'll be helpful going forward. He's not, uh, because of the Republican supermajorities, he's not going to be all that persuasive and or effective in persuading individual Republican members. Right. Um, but all, to, to all the things that he can do, he's done. And right. so... I want to commend him for that, and I hope uh, I hope it. You know, at, in in late March, Governor Bashir is signing um, House Bill 136, and I will I'll celebrate it with the governor at that time, and and give him the credit that he's due. He's the governor, and he's using his bully pulpit on behalf of uh, sick folks who need who need to fill and be better. I guess the question that I have, um, you mentioned that it's the Senate, and I, I guess we could ask people to please call their senator but really it's leadership isn't it because based on last last year's sessions and my sort of non-scientific personal poll of legislators that I knew it didn't feel like the majority of the senate was against it it felt like the leadership was um so how do you convince the leadership when they may not be beholden to you if they are not from a specific if you're not from a specific district how do we move the ball on this um in a constructive way. Well, the way to move the ball in any legislation is to start with your legislator. So start with your senator and uh, make sure they know what your position is and why you have that position. Ask them to agree with you. And if they don't, then ask them why so you can get them information. You know, there's no, I don't believe in attacking legislators, Republicans, or Democrats on, uh, you know, you can attack them in elections. That's fine. Attack me all you want. But if you want to convince a legislator, what I'm asking people to do is to contact their senator and say, you know, here's why I'm for medical marijuana, and here's why. If you got a personal story, great. If it's just because you've read science and you know that it'll, that it's good for folks, great. Didn't educate your your senator on it, and then ask them where they are. Um, if they need information, let's get them that information, and then ask them to go to leadership and ask for a vote. Right. Um, leadership it does not. They're not dictators. They don't. They don't. You know, they want to be elected the next leadership election as well. And so they don't just say, hey, I know, you know, 70% of my caucus wants this, but I'm gonna keep it down. I'm going to tamp it down. That's not what they do. They protect yeah. their members and they follow their, their members' uh, wishes. Right. Yeah, they lead, but they also, you know, are a reflection of what their members want. So right. have have your senator contact leadership and put some, you know, and put a bug in there that they want it to be heard. 
Um, and you know, we've got a lot of people that are working leadership on, in the Senate to get a, to get a vote. What is your What is the most compelling personal story that you've heard from wow. from the medical marijuana issue that that sort of says, "Hey, guys, we really need to do this." Yeah, let me let me tell you two. I, I, there, I could tell you a hundred. Let me tell you two because these are both in my district. I was walking for re-election in 2018, and I knocked on this guy's door. I noticed 85-year-old Republican man lives alone, or at least he's the only registered voter in the house. That's all I knew. Knocked on his door, big old boy, Leland, six foot four. So, he, and I'm and I'm five nine. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of you know I'm kind of stocky, but I'm not six foot four. And yeah. so this fella comes to the door, and I, hey, I'm Representative Jason Nemes running for re-election, and he stops me and he says, "Are you that fellow that's pushing marijuana?" And I thought, oh, here I'm getting ready to get a whooping here. Right. I kind of, I kind of got ready to to make the make the defend myself with the argument, and I said, yes, sir, I'm I'm for medical marijuana. And Leland, this 85 year old man who I've never met before, big old Republican male in Anchorage, wealthy, obviously wealthy man from with property. He, st- I'm not going to tell you he starts crying. I'm going to tell you he starts bawling, mm. and he said, thank you. And I said, what's on your mind, buddy? And I said, what's on? You? When he started crying, I said, what's on your mind, buddy? He said, I want to thank you for pushing this. My wife died a few years ago of cancer and our two sons who don't live in Kentucky brought back medical marijuana for her. And Jason, we did, we don't break the law. We never, we never done marijuana. We did. He wanted to make sure we're not, we don't bunch of lawbreakers. And he said, it allowed her to get off the couch. It allowed wow. me to be with my wife the last few years of her life. And I was thinking, and so second anecdote, second story, I'm at a fundraiser for my kids school at St. Margaret Mary. And I'm standing up. It's only for adults. It's, it's just, you know, where it's a, it's kind of a, a an auction, an auction kind of thing, and you get together and you dance and blah blah blah. Just a fundraiser. Um, and so a guy comes up to me who I've never met before. I never met before. He comes up to me and he said, and, he, and he's shaking. And I was I was standing alone at one of the stand tables, and and he comes up to me and he's, and he's shaking, and he says, "Are you Jason Nemeth?" I said, "Yes, sir." And he said, "I want to tell you, thank you, man. I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can ever thank you enough." And I said, "Tell me why." I never met this guy before. He's my age, probably forty to forty-five. I know him now. But at the time, I didn't. And he said, he said, I want you to know that I have MS. And I can't go to work unless I take a little bit of marijuana. And it enables me to provide for my family. And I know how much you're fighting. I, I don't want to be thought of as a lawbreaker. I'm just trying to be a dad. Wow. And I thought to myself, Leland, I said, who the hell do we think we are to get in the way of this man Providing for his family. Who do we think we are to keep that woman on the couch when she can have relief, even for a moment, to be with her family? So I'm going to fight with all that I have because I know there are stories like that, thousands of people like that. And we've not even talked about what it does for seizures. There's stories like that all over the place. It's time in Kentucky. And I just I want to make this clear. Um not in any way being combative because this is an area you and I disagree. I, I happen to agree with uh, recreational, but there's a lot of people in Kentucky that don't. And I want to make it clear. You are not for recreational marijuana. This is purely no. medical. That is your position. And that is your stand. And I respect that. And I just, I, I want people to understand that just because we're talking about marijuana, this is not another legislator that's out there going, we need everybody to be able to, that's not, you're not trying to get, you know, everybody smoke doobies. That's not what you're for. No. Um, I just want people to understand that you're not pushing for recreational marijuana in any way, shape or form. Uh, you are purely going for medical marijuana. And, and I, again, we might disagree on recreational. My personal thing is I am standing with you 
on the medical side because I feel like it's important. And those stories that you told were super moving. Um, I guess one question I had was, are you going to include in this bill protection of law-abiding citizens' gun rights? Yes, no okay. doubt about it. Now, that is a federal rule right, that, right. you know, when you go get your, you know, I, I own a lot of guns, and when you go buy a gun, you have to fill out your, your it was FFL, right. I've forgotten what it's called, but yeah. you know, we fill it out every time we buy a gun. And it, it's one of the questions is, do you use marijuana or have you, you know, and so right. that's a federal issue that has to be taken care of, but that's purchasing a gun, by the way, that's right. not, you know, possessing a gun, it's purchasing a gun. Right. It will not be illegal in Kentucky to, to possess a gun. And, and let me say this, there are now 36 states that have medical marijuana and there's not gun right prop gun rights problems in those states. Right. Um, and so, you know, there won't be in Kentucky either. Good. And Good. Uh, I want to say, you know, you're right. I, I don't support recreational marijuana. Not many people in the legislature do. Um, I've never, I've never taken an illegal drug or smoked marijuana in my entire life. You know, when I was growing up, I was, um, I, you know, I, I, I play by the play by the rules. If I had touched that stuff, my dad would have kicked my behind. <laughs> um, so I, it's, this is not, you know, it, 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 by the way, you know, it, so anyway, it's just, it, it's not part of, right. it's not part of the effort in Kentucky right now. Yeah. I, I just, because there will be people listening and I want to make sure that, that we're clear on that. Um, nope. Yep. Just bringing it back full circle to the COVID thing, I, I just saw this, that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is upset because the police in New York are refusing to enforce his Thanksgiving rules for families. And he said, and I quote, he said, I don't believe as law enforcement officer you have the right to pick and choose what laws you will enforce. Oh, really? I'm going to pause right here and say that's technically true, except that the Democrats have been asking law enforcement to pick and choose for a long time especially with the fa the violence that's been going on this summer and prosecutors letting people off the hook for doing what they've done. But he continued and said, um, it is frankly frightening to me as an individual, frightening to democracy. It's arrogant and a violation of constitutional duty. Honestly, I think this guy is messed up in the head. I really do. Because the logic, everything he just said completely defies logic. He's talking about a government official demanding how you and your family live inside your home. And he's upset and calls it a threat to democracy. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is not, it doesn't affect Kentucky, but we have a governor who's been following the lead of these very liberal governors, Gavin Newsom, who got caught at a winery right. celebrating birthdays, no social distancing, no mask, no right as he said that people can't gather for Thanksgiving. Washington State, Oregon, Chicago's mayor, um, right. Lightfoot, caught with a bullhorn celebrating Biden's victory shoulder to shoulder, no mask on same day. She issues a curfew. Yeah. It is unbelievable to me that these politicians and then bringing it back to Andy uh, talking about this this week can utter things like this and it not completely destroy their political career in America. That makes no sense to me. And it yep. frankly worries me for our future that this is this kind of thing is not being roundly and soundly rejected by the American well, people. It's being rejected in a lot of places. The, the county attorney in Odom County, who, by the way, used to be a district judge in Louisville, the county attorney in Odom County, John Carter, uh, put on Facebook this, and it's two sentences, I'll, three sentences, I'll read them real quickly. This is John Carter, the county attorney in Odom County. I've reviewed the governor's most recent orders regarding the in-home Thanksgiving celebration, limiting those to eight family members 
and have determined those orders to be unreasonable. Our office, therefore, will not prosecute any alleged violation of those orders. Have a happy Thanksgiving with as many of your family members you want to celebrate this national holiday as you desire. That's John Carter. (laughs) That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, we'll wrap it up with that, sir. I wish you the very merriest of Thanksgivings and Christmas holidays, but we'll have you on before then because I want when you when you get that information that you've requested you from it. the governor, you have it. Uh, I want to definitely uh, have you back on for that. Uh, Jason Nemus, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you. Anytime. Thanks, Lou. All right. Have a good one. Always love having Representative Jason Nemus. He almost got me to kind of uh, tear up a little bit with those stories about the medical marijuana. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They're at 6200 Hit Lane, right on the border of Oldham and, uh, uh, and Louisville. And if you're in southern Indiana or Louisville or Oldham County, they're going to be your place. Let me tell you, if you're wanting to redo your kitchen, maybe you've decided to stay in place um, because everything's so uncertain right now, but you want to have your dream kitchen, or maybe you're looking to house uh, do a quick sale. Maybe you're a do-it-yourselfer and you just want to flip the house, so you want to go grab some cabinets. They got cabinets, high-quality cabinets, affordable in stock, or they can do a turnkey remodel. And you can talk to one of their three designers on staff, Michelle, George, or Kelly. They all can't wait to talk to you and, and show you their showroom at 6200 Hit Lane. Lots of cool examples of their work. 502-930-3304 is the phone number. I don't talk about businesses I don't believe in. We were a customer when we lived in Kentucky. They did our kitchen and master bath, and we were extremely happy with the work. And I am also extremely uh, happy that they are sponsoring this program because it allows us to keep it free. Okay. Speaking of which, it is a free download uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the iHeartRadio app. You can also listen to it on our new partners in broadcast, WGTK 970, The Answer. Uh, And daily, you'll hear my commentaries on all things uh, local and national on that station as well. So check them out. You can follow us on Instagram at GreatLilando. Uh, and at the Disruption Zone, or on uh, Twitter, it's at Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. Thanks to my co-host and co-executive producer Cameron Mills. Thanks to Dynamics Productions Audio for their services to this program in Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. And thank you, the listener, for the thousands of downloads we've been getting every week. We really appreciate you. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Disruption Zone. <laughs> <laughs>